Well, we've been doing kind of, um, the last couple messages have been on uh, like our trajectory and um, where we are headed in our lives, basically. And I love the phrase that Steve said uh, a few weeks ago of, is my current behavior leading me to my future desires? And so tonight we're talking about that as far as it goes with um, having healthy friendships and healthy relationships in our life. So I was going to do like a little interaction thing, so you guys will have to help me out or it's going to be super awkward. Um, (laughs) Because nothing is worse than asking a question and then it just like the sound of crickets being in the room. We actually used to have a student years ago when we first started Kyle that could do the best cricket sound I have ever. It sounded like an actual live cricket was in the room. And if it was really quiet when somebody asked a question, he would do that sound. So we don't want that tonight, though. But anyway, what are some qualities of good friends? What is like a quality that you look for in a good friend? Loyalty. I love that. Honesty. That's good. A good listener. I love that. It feels good to be listened to, doesn't it? Or do you guys like sitting across from a friend and like spilling your guts to them and they're like on their phone the whole time? And <laughs> that feels kind of crappy. Any, any other good qualities that we look for in a friend? They're funny. That is a good quality. I like a good sense of humor. They don't judge. I love that. So that was actually one of, a bunch of those were on my list of things that I look for in friends. Like loyalty is a huge deal. You don't want to look for a friend that you're not sure if they're going to stay loyal to you or if they're going to stab you in the back or whatever. Um, true friendship has like a healthy balance of giving and receiving. Um, somebody that's trustworthy, that one of my favorite things to look for in a friend is somebody that actually sharpens me or brings me closer to Jesus. I don't love when I, like, am giving, like, some problem in my life and the person gives me really ter- terrible, like, advice. I don't like, I, I want a friend that can, like, actually tell me the truth and push me towards Jesus. Um, one of my favorite verses when it comes to friendship is Proverbs 27.6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the enemy, or uh, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And that kind of a weird verse, like, why are enemies kissing us? I don't really know. <laughs> like, it's kind of strange. But, uh, and why are friends wounding, wounding us? And why is that faithfulness? I don't understand. But what that kind of means is, like, friends tell the truth to you. They don't flatter you. And one of my favorite stories of this happening to me in, the, like, the opposite way that it should probably happen is at the end of every year in Chi Alpha, we do what's called the Alfie Awards. Has anyone gone to the Alfies before? It is my favorite event. Don't tell, I mean, I, well, probably next to Breakaway. But it is one of my favorite events for the year. So every small group gets together, and they make a video together. And then we have what's called the Elfie Awards, which is like the Academy Awards. So it's like an actual red carpet, and people dress up. We're doing it this year in April, and so get ready, because it'll be awesome. But anyway, I had a dare with my friend Melissa, and her and I were like, why don't we go to the thrift store and pick out really ugly outfits and just show up, and it would be so funny. And she went and got this power suit, and it was awesome, and you could tell it was a joke. And then I went and got this really ugly dress from Value Village, and I showed up, and I'm like, everyone's going to laugh, and it's going to be so funny. No. People thought I was serious. And then they... They didn't just think I was serious and didn't say anything. They lied to my face. (laughs) And you can show the picture of this dress. It's okay. It's bad. It's like velvet and then this ugly satin 
and the poofy sleeves, and to make it worse in the back, I kid you not, is a satin bow this big in the back of the dress. And people looked at me like, oh, that's such a great dress. Where did you find that? And I just looked. I was like, are you kidding me? It was very nice that they were so kind. But then I posted this picture on Instagram, and my twin sister texted me, like, very quickly, in all caps, what the heck are you wearing? And I was like, thank you. The, finally, the first person who's honest with me. All, nobody else was my friend that night, but Deb was my friend. And she did not flatter me. She told me the truth. It was an ugly dress. But unfortunately, I got rid of it. I would have brought it tonight. I would not have worn it, but I would have brought it. You can take that off the screen. It'll just be distracting. So anyway, we all want to have healthy friendships in our future, right? That's something that we're shooting for. We want to, like, graduate college, get on with life, and have friends, right? But one question that I want you guys to ask yourself during tonight is, is my current behavior in friendships leading me to my future desires? If am I being, basically, am I being a good friend? Am I practicing good and healthy friendship now? Because... If our choices right now and our friendships right now aren't healthy, if we don't change something, we're not going to have healthy friendships in the future. It doesn't just happen. Like one way we wake up and we have five really good friends that are, all of our friendships are perfect and healthy and it doesn't work out. It takes work and it takes decisions. And so one of, uh, a verse from the New Testament is that the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So his role here on earth is to kill, steal, and destroy, which is pretty gruesome but it's very true. And so if friendships is one of like the best parts of our life and it's a gift from God, then of course the devil's going to work his hardest to kill, steal, and destroy from our friendships. If we, one of the biggest ways that he does that is through unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is one of the greatest destroyers of healthy relationships. So tonight we're just, I'm going to quickly go through kind of what the basic stages of unforgiveness are, and then we'll go through how to walk out of those stages, because that would be helpful, right? We don't want to just know what the stages are and be like, oh, okay, we'll avoid that. No, we want to walk out of it and walk in healthy relationship. So the steps of, the stages of the unforgiveness, start, it always starts with conflict, right? Or hurt, like we accrue some sort of hurt with each other, because you don't just like, un, like choose to not forgive somebody because they did something really nice for you. It happens because you were hurt. And so conflict is a really normal part of relationships, unfortunately. In um, the book of James, it talks about what causes fights and quarrels among you. And it basically says, like, you desire something that you don't get. So, like, I have expectations from you, and you don't meet them. I expect you to, to be nice, and you hurt my feelings. And so that's going to cause fights and quarrels among us as we expect something from somebody. And sometimes those expectations are reasonable, and we don't get that. And so it causes conflict or hurt. So if our conflicts are not resolved, the second thing is if conflict isn't resolved, it leads to unforgiveness. And that unforgiveness is like a seed that's planted in our hearts, and if we water that and we don't take care of it right away, it grows a root of bitterness. So unforgiveness grows the roots of bitterness, and that's what the Bible describes bitterness as, is it's like a, dirt, like a bad root in our life. Has anyone tried to uproot like a, a tree that grew up in your yard that you didn't want there? I don't know, maybe that's very specific. So it's like very difficult when something grows roots everywhere to actually get it up. And you're like, wow, this would have been so easy if it was just a little seed in the ground. But now I have to like 
pull up all these roots. We did a bunch of landscaping. Dalton helped Steve and I do, and Brianna helped Steve and I do some landscaping in our backyard a few years ago. And we had a bunch of trees removed. And I, it was all these birch trees, and the roots are really shallow, and we're trying to get them out. And they're, like, everywhere. I'm like, there wasn't even a tree over here, and there's roots. And we had to try to get all of them out. It's so difficult. But bitterness is like that. If we allow it to fester in our life, it grows roots, and it affects everything. So what are the steps so we, don't, we can avoid walking in bitterness? So the steps into forgiveness. The first one is to lovingly address conflict. And who likes conflict, like actually just thrives off of it? Not anyone. Well, some people. Some people actually do like conflict, and that's okay. I am not one of them. I am one that really shies away from it. I don't necessarily run away from conflict. I just pretend it's not there, which is not a good quality, and I've really worked at that not being in my life. Um, but we, we have to lovingly address conflict. We, it doesn't just go away on its own. And a lot of that starts with self-examination, so examining your own heart and figuring out where you are in that. So some questions I like to ask myself before I go up and confront somebody is, am I consistently getting wronged by people in my life? Am I easily offended? Like, if I realize, like, wow, everyone's been hurting me and offending me lately, then that's kind of a sign, isn't it, that maybe something's wrong with me? Like, I might be the common denominator. Not everyone else in this world is just rude. So anyway, I like to ask myself, is this a trend in my life? One of my favorite, Pastor Brad Lewis is coming up and he's speaking at our retreat in a couple weeks. And one of my favorite things that he says is assume stupidity and not malice. And that doesn't, we, people aren't stupid, like we don't call people stupid. But assume like ignorance, like they did not intend on hurting me, not that they were maliciously hurting me. So I assume that somebody didn't intend to hurt me before I assumed that they were doing it on purpose. And if they proved me wrong, then they proved me wrong. They were doing it on purpose. But most of the time, people aren't intentionally hurtful. And then pray over the situation. So Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to kind of camp out tonight in the Bible. Um, and the Matthew 18 actually gives us kind of a step-by-step -step of how to handle conflict, which is very helpful for all of us that don't like conflict. Um, so how do we actually confront biblically? Um, in verse 15, it says, if your brother or sister, so Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother or sister, not just like your actual brother and sister, but like other people that are Christians, they're your brothers and sisters in the Lord, so treat them kindly. Um, if your brother and sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So if somebody hurts your feelings, you get to go to them and point out what they did between the two of you. Isn't that interesting that it clarifies that right away? Just between the two of you. But oftentimes that's not what we do, right? We go and we talk to this person and then this person and we get all of the advice that we need and then we feel a little bit better so we never actually go to the person that hurt us, but it's all good because I got it out of my system and I vented to a few people. So the Bible actually says, don't do that. Like, sometimes we need advice, right? But the majority of the time, we could probably just go to that person if it's, like, a pretty simple issue and say, like, hey, I know that you wouldn't intend, so maybe practice saying this with me because I never used to do this. And some of the greatest gifts that people have given me, friends have given me, 
is the gift of confronting me when I've hurt them. Because I've had the opposite, where I've lost a friend and had no idea why, and they never would talk to me about it. And that's really sad. So some of the best gift is when somebody would say, so repeat after me, I know you wouldn't intend to, but when you did this, it hurt me. That sounds really sim- like silly, probably, saying it all out loud together. But it's so easy to do that. Like, hey, in humility, I've prayed about it. I've sought my own heart. I'm not being easily offended offended like I can't get rid of I can't let this go I need to go talk to you and just say hey I know you wouldn't intend on hurting me but when you did this or you said this it really hurt me can we talk about it does that that's like hard but it's not that hard if you love somebody and so I want to encourage you guys to follow chapter 18 of Matthew and say like okay if somebody hurts me I'm going to pray about it but I'm going to go to that person and I want to talk to them about it before I talk to other people. And it says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. In verse 16, it says, if they don't listen to you, take one or two others along with you, so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. Yes, this sounds very formal, because it is. Um, At this time, the Roman Empire had taken over, and the Jews were underneath the Roman Empire, but they were still able to handle some of their, like, civil disputes amongst their own, like, governing systems in the synagogue with leadership. And so that's what this is talking about, is, like, handling that um, in a very formal way. So, like, bigger lawsuits and stuff to not take that to Roman courts, but to handle it on their own. So that's why it's talking about witnesses and testimonies and all of that. So we can kind of take a little bit of that, because we don't need to, like, have witnesses Like, okay, you come and watch this and see what they say so we have it documented. Like, we're not talking. This is, like, little issues, right? So don't take it that part to heart, maybe. But just, like, okay, then you can maybe bring somebody with you if you've already confronted them. They are unwilling to change. Maybe bring somebody else with you and try to reconcile. So anyway, it goes on to talk about, like, if that doesn't work, what to do. But the part that I love about this is... In verse 17 at the end, it says, if they don't listen even to the church, to treat them as you would the pagan and the tax collector. And that maybe sounds really harsh, but if you think about it, Jesus already said, how do we treat the pagans and the tax collectors? We love them. So he's not saying like, okay, somebody hurts me. They're not willing to admit that they were wrong. We can't reconcile, so I'm going to hate you. I'm going to like spread rumors about you and like smear your good name. No, he says, treat them like the pagan and the tax collector, which I've called you to love. So maybe don't be their best friend, but you have to love them because you're a Christian. That's kind of cool. So confront that person in love. And one thing I like to ask myself often, because I don't like confronting people, and sometimes I think, I can just get over this. And then if I'm thinking about it, I really not. And what ends up happening is I kind of just fade out of a friendship because I'm not willing to confront. And so I have to ask myself, am I willing to lose a friendship over this issue? Sometimes I'm like, wait, no, they just like said something, a side comment, and it hurt my feelings. Why would I want to lose a friendship over that? But if in reality, if I'm not willing to forgive or I'm not willing to address it, there's no way that I can have healthy friendship with them. There is this one time in my life Um, And this is a really silly story, and I was, like, probably, I don't know, maybe 12 years old. And I had a birthday party, so I have an identical twin sister, so we had this little birthday party. And we had a sleepover, 
and two friends slept over at our house. And I don't really know why. Maybe my memory's foggy in it. But for some reason, they decided to sleep in a different room than my sister and I and have their own little sleepover at my birthday party. Isn't that weird? And I remember this, and I was like, and Deb and I were like, why would you sleep in a different room at my house? This is so weird. And it was really hurtful, right? Like, that is pretty hurtful. But you guys, I am not proud of this. I never said anything to them about it. Deb and I just went to sleep, and then we woke up and made breakfast and waited for them to get up, and then we never said anything. And the problem is, is that was super hurtful, and I never said anything, and so there was always a little bit of tension in my heart towards them. And then what happened is like this next step of unforgiveness brought roots of bitterness in my life, and it was like years and years later, and I'm not proud of this, that I like started having issues of feeling like people are just going to kind of leave you. You're not really cool enough. And so if there's somebody better, like a better option, they're not going to want to be your friend. Like these lies started happening because I never chose to get over it. And I never chose to like actually address it and walk in forgiveness. So I'm not proud of that, but that's what bitterness does in our life. And so in this next step, and it's a little out of order because, and it, it'll make sense. So, like, if we have to first address conflict, and then we have to uproot any bitterness in our life. Is, and that's the step into forgiveness. So, sometimes we can't address conflict with somebody. Maybe it's not safe to go to that person. Or maybe that person is like, like, I'm not going to go call this person that I'm no longer friends with because our lives have moved on. And this was like, I'm going to age myself. But, they, I mean, this is like over 20 years ago. I'm not going to call her and be like, you know that one time that you slept in a different room at my birthday party? That was so hurtful. Like, that just doesn't make any sense, right? So I'm not going to go. But I can choose to forgive over that now, right? Or, and I can choose to uproot bitterness. And sometimes there's like, it really would not be helpful or healthy to go to the person that hurt you. But we have to, if we can't confront something, our choice is either to remain bitter or to walk in forgiveness. Bitterness, one of my favorite quotes is, bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. In Hebrews 12, 15, it says, See to it that no one fail, falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness does not just affect us, but affects the people around us. The Bible says that it defiles many. It hurts many people. And I'm going to share a gross example with you. And so just bear with me. I don't like blood, so this grosses me out just as much as it grosses out you. But imagine with me, if somebody hurts you, they, like, cut your hand open, which is just absurd. And instead of, like, going to that person and be like, why did you do that? And then going and getting help and getting your hand bandaged up, you walk around to a bunch of people and you show them all, like, look at this cut. Like, <laughs> Steve did that. Or, like, I don't know why I said Steve. That's my <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Steve. I was just like, who is the person that won't get offended if I say that they hurt me? Steve is fine. We're all good. So, or Br Brianna just cut my hand open, did, and then I start turning everyone against Brianna, because how dare she? That's uncalled for, and it is. And so, but then it's not enough, right? So I'm like, I feel alone in this still. People don't fully understand what I'm going through. So I'm just going to cut Sai's hand. Yeah, because now we're together in it. We're both hurt. But that's still not enough. And so all of a sudden, 
I have not attended to this wound. And what happens to a wound when you don't tend to it? Super infected. That's gross. And so I have now a festering wound. I apologize, but I warned you. And so my choice is to still show it to people or to go back to the person that hurt me and like rub it on them so that they can feel exactly the pain that I feel. And I know that's like a weird example, but that's sometimes what hurt happens in our life. We get so hurt that we go and we show everybody our hurt and then that's, it doesn't heal the wound because it's still there. And so then we hurt other people because then we aren't alone in it. And that's not enough because we now have an infected wound and now all my friends are hurt too. And so we're all in rough shape. So then we go back to the person trying to like, I don't know, seek justice or something and then we hurt them and do like it's, it doesn't work. We need to walk out of bitterness. The cost of bitterness is so, so great. I love this quote. It says, if we repeatedly ruminate over how we've been victimized or nursing our wrongs, we may eventually come to define some essential, it might eventually come to define some essential part of who we are. It will take hold of our very personality and we'll end up becoming victims, not so much to anyone else, but to ourselves. I know this is a heavier message, but I really just had it on my heart um, as we're preparing um, at the beginning of the semester some of the messages we wanted to speak. Um, I just, like, God has such a beautiful plan for friendships. And I just think of this verse that says that people will know we are Christians by our love. And if we don't choose to walk in forgiveness and get rid of bitterness in our life, no one will see the love and the forgiveness that Christ has for them based off of our own lives because we aren't representing it accurately. Some of the, so this was out of a psychology article that I was reading, and it was talking about the effects of bitterness on our life, and I thought it was very interesting. So the effects of bitterness is that it prolongs our mental and emotional pain. It leads to long-lasting anxiety and depression, it causes you to commit vengeful or even violent acts that could engulf you in a never-ending, self-defeating cycle of getting even. So specific. Um, and it prevents you from experiencing the potential joys of living fully in the present versus dwelling self-righteously in the past wrongs inflicted on you. It creates or deepens an attitude of just distrust or cynicism. It interferes with your cultivating of healthy relationships and it robs you of energy. It undermines your physical health, causing emotion or such problems as insomnia, high blood pressure, back pain, headaches, a weakened immune system, or even abdominal conditions. Bitterness blinds you from recognizing your own role or responsibility in situations. The cost of bitterness is very great. Uh, a doctor named Leon Seltzer, which is a great name, if you like seltzer water, <laughs> he says, virtually every writer who has weighed in on the subject of bitterness has discussed its ultimate remedy in the terms of forgiveness. For forgiveness alone enables you to let go of grievances, grudges, and resentment. It is the single most potent antidote for the venomous desire of vengeance that poisons our system. The Bible actually puts it this way in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Kind of touches all the bases there. <laughs> it 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ has also forgiven you. The only way to relieve ourselves or to uproot bitterness in our life is to forgive. And that is the last step of walking in healthy relationships and walking in forgiveness is to forgive. In Matthew, oh, really quick, I had uh, felt like God had put this on my heart um, during our prayer time at the beginning, is that sometimes things feel really, really petty in our lives, and we are like, well, why would I have to forgive? That was like such a slight, like such a slight thing. They just slept in a different room at my sleepover. It's not that big of a deal. I don't have to actually work at forgiveness. Like, it's fine. But if we don't truly forgive and let go of even small things, there's no way that when something big happens in our life that we'll be able to forgive that. Every small moment of forgiveness helps you practice for the bigger moments that come in your life. And there will always be big moments of forgiveness that you were not expecting. And I'm so grateful for the small things that I've chosen to forgive that have helped me forgive the really, really hard things. And forgiveness isn't always like a one and done thing. It's like a way that you live your life. And it's a process. In Matthew 18, so further on in this chapter, so Jesus had just told the disciples how to walk um, and confront conflict, how to walk in that type of a, a relationship with people. And then Peter, his disciple, comes up to him and he says in verse 21, um, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And this is funny to me because I was researching this, and three times was like the normal amount of times in like Jewish culture that they said that you had to forgive somebody. Like three times is good. If they keep doing the same thing, then you don't have to forgive them anymore. Three was enough. So Peter, when he says seven times, like I can, I wasn't there, so I don't know how he said it, but I can imagine him almost saying this to Jesus, like, oh, I'm gonna, he's going to be so impressed with me. I'm going above and beyond. Jesus, should I do seven times? Like, like I'm so cool. And then Jesus rebuttals and says, um, he answers and says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or some versions say 70 times seven. So basically, you have to keep forgiving them, is what he's saying. Like, you, he's not actually saying, like, you can only forgive somebody 77 times and then you're good. Like, that, his example is, like, you have to keep forgiving people. And so he starts telling this parable, and he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Um, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, servant, um, at this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees, and he begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. 
I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's a sobering parable. I wonder how Peter felt when Jesus said that. Like, man, seven times is not going to cut it. But the interesting thing about this is that 100 bags of gold, or what did he say? The 10,000 bags of gold. Um, another, like, increment of money is called a talent. So a lot of times if you've heard this word before, it talks about our talents. And that was just, a, like, a bag of gold. So one bag of gold was worth 20 years of hard labor. So he owed 10,000 bags of gold. So how many years of hard labor did he owe? Any math majors? 200,000. 200,000 years of labor? What was this guy doing with his money? Like, that is so much. But the point is he could have never... You don't live 200,000 years. You could never pay that back. There is no way that he could humanly possibly pay that back to the master. So he was forgiven of this impossible amount of debt. And then he walks out of there, and 100 silver coins was worth one day's wage. One. Like, very easy to pay back. And so he walks out, and he's like, wow, I was forgiven. Like, I literally was going to lose my life and everything I had because of my debt, and I walked out forgiven. And then instead of going and rejoicing with somebody and saying, like, I was just forgiven of so much money and so much debt, I'm going to forgive your one-day wage. He walked, and he strangled the man and said, you have to pay me now. What kind of, what kind of person is this? But the point of the parable is we are that man that owed 200,000 days' wages, and Jesus Christ forgave a debt that we could never repay because our sin leads to death. Our sin separates us from God. And the only person who could pay that debt was Jesus Christ. And so he paid it for us, an impossible debt. And when we walk out and we choose not to forgive somebody else, we're like that man who was forgiven so much and then demanding that others pay us back for their, their wrongs. And that's sobering. Forgiveness is essentially canceling somebody's debt that they owe us. We, can always, we always are asked to forgive because Christ first forgave us, but that doesn't mean that we don't set up boundaries. We love, like, we love the tax collectors or the Pharisees, or the, not the Pharisees, the, the pagans. So we love people, but we can still set up boundaries. And so I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that like you still are close to people that are going to continue to hurt you. But we have to let them go of the debt that they owed us. Bitterness is like drinking a poison and waiting for somebody else to die. So you're like drinking a poison and you're expecting the person who hurt you to actually die. But you're the one that is affected by it. And so when we forgive... It literally changes our life. And it doesn't sound like it makes any sense. Like on paper, it would make sense that if I stay angry at this person, eventually they'll pay for what they did. But the way that it hurts us is that we actually pay the price and continue to pay the price, even what, if what they did was so, so wrong. There's a trust that comes that if Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin and he forgave us so much that he will defend us, like he will justify us 
And I can, out of response to his forgiveness for me, extend that to somebody else that so does not deserve it because I didn't deserve it either. We always have to forgive because Jesus Christ forgave us, but we cannot forgive without God's help. And it's not something that we can do on our own. And I want to, if the um, Niall and Anna can come up and um, play, we'll be closing with this story. One of my favorite um, like heroes of faith is a, a lady named Corey Ten Boom. And Corey Ten Boom was, um, her and her family uh, hid Jews in their house in Holland during the Holocaust. And one of my favorite books is her book called The Hiding Place. I highly recommend it. And um, she tells a story in the very end. So she had survived um, the concentration camps, and um, many of her family did not, which would be so incredibly hard. But she promised God, like, if you get me out of here, I'm going to, like, spread your name. And I'm going to tell the, like, people of the good works that you've done. And so she went around and she spoke and after everything that had happened and um, started sharing about like forgiveness and everything and like what an incredible thing for her. Like if she told me I had to forgive out of the stuff that she had gone through and the pain and the sorrow that she had gone through, I'd be like, yeah, I can forgive. If you can forgive, I can forgive. So anyway, she's speaking at this conference and she, God had really done like a lot of restoration in her heart and she thought she had let go and forgiven everybody. But while she's speaking, she's up here. So imagine I'm Corey Ten Boom, and I'm speaking, and in the back I notice there's somebody back there, and it's actually one of the prison guards that was like incredibly brutal to her when she was in Ravensbrück. And so she notices him, and she's like, I don't think he recognizes me. So after she's talking to people, and he's waiting around after the she speaks, and eventually he comes up to her and he puts out his hand for her to shake it. And he's, he's like, you mentioned Ravensbrook. And this is a quote from, from her book. In your talk, he was saying, I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things that I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, his hand came out, and he looked at her and he said, will you forgive me? She said, and as I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion, and I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, but you have to supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, it raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. She said, I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. And that is such a challenging story. God has such a beautiful plan in forgiveness. And as I stand up here, I know, I don't know what everybody in this room has been through. If you've had small things that have happened to you that have 
seem insignificant, but they're just really hard to let go of, or if you've had some really big hurts and really big trauma in your life that you haven't forgiven. But God has such a beautiful plan, and he's not asking you just to forgive on your own will and your own power, but he promises, like, he will help you do that. I believe that God will help you walk through that forgiveness and walk through the uh, what it looks like to actually approve bitterness in your life. So as we close, if you guys would just bow your heads and close your eyes. And just out of response, sometimes it just helps if we physically respond. Um, but if you have been walking through some um, small or large offenses and it's just been really hard to let them go and you want to take that first step and ask God, like Corey asked, would you help me? Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you have to supply the feeling. If that's a step that you want to take tonight, would you just lift your hand in obedience to God? Do you want to forgive somebody tonight that has hurt you? And as I was preparing, I just felt like if you have been somebody that you know you've caused a lot of hurt in people's life, and you need to forgive yourself for that, and you want to ask God tonight, maybe during this response, how you can make amends or how you can make it up, would you just raise your hand in response to God? And then tonight, if you, when I talked about that forgiveness that Jesus Christ has offered us, and you're like that servant that has owed so much money and you feel like you've just been trying to pay it off like trying to pay back what you owe and make up with your good deeds or whatever it might be but you want to just genuinely accept the forgiveness of your sins that Jesus Christ offered when he died on the cross if you want to accept that and make him your Lord and Savior would you raise your hand tonight if that's you um Steve, my husband, or I will be in the back. We'd love to pray with you. But we're just going to spend a little time responding. Um, they're just going to be playing some instrumental music up here. Just spend a couple of minutes. And um, I just encourage you guys to ask God um, if there's things in your heart that you want to forgive. If you raised your hand at any of those questions, just ask God what your next steps are. Um, yeah, and, and I'll come up and redirect us after that. But for this first time, why don't we spend some time reflecting um, on what God is saying to us?
move into more of a response time and of worship. But if you guys need prayer for anything, maybe you want someone to pray with you over uh, something that you need to forgive. Um, Steve and I, the rest of our Kyle staff will be in the back. We'd love to pray with you guys. But I just encourage you, if God's been speaking to you, to not let like the night grow cold on what he's telling you to do. If you need to go talk to someone tonight, make it a point to do that. Don't go to bed tonight without making amends or asking someone for forgiveness or asking, um, telling maybe somebody that they hurt you in a really kind way and allowing there to be restoration in your relationship. Um, but yeah, we're just going to be singing some songs and if you guys would like prayer, we'd love to know. 